When we understand that we are the ones that are in control of how we think, in control of how we feel, then why would we choose those feelings? So it's a process of learning how we do that to change it. Welcome back to the Understanding Men podcast, which is basically two guys talking about things that men could but don't speak about anywhere near enough. I'm Luke Sutton, and I'm here once again with my great friend, Fraser Franks. I would like to welcome today's very exciting guest, Jacqueline Hurst, who is the UK's leading life coach, number one best-selling international author of How to Do You, GQ Magazine's resident coach and columnist, teacher and speaker. Jacqueline is a certified life coach, a master NLP practitioner, and a certified health and weight coach with over two decades experience in helping clients change their life through learning how to change their mindset. Welcome, Jacqueline. Thank you so much. It's so funny. Whenever people do that, I, I'm still like looking behind me of like, who are they talking about? Like, <laughs> it's so funny thank you there's a lot in there that's some intro thank you it's so nice to be here and I love that we've got men talking right when I started my business years of 100 million years ago I remember writing to all these boys schools and I was like hi I'm a life coach and I'd love to come and talk to boys about thoughts and feelings and I must have got like 20 letters back with like the heads of the school saying we don't need anyone to do that we have a nurse on site (laughs) And it, what's so amazing is now, 20 years later, you and I, all three of us, we're all sitting here having this conversation. And it, it's actually a really beautiful thing, like how far we've come. It makes me really happy. Yeah, well, thank you for saying. I mean, that's the reason we started the podcast. We just, you know, it felt like there are still so many areas that men just need to open up in and let go and talk about. And it's moved forward a long way, but still so much further to go. So it's, it's great to have your input today. Jacqueline, I just wanted to start with this question. You've talked in the past about that you were bullied at school and you've recovered from drug addiction. And, and Fraser and I are, are both recovering alcoholics. And we talk really honestly about how recovery from that has really shaped who we are today as people in a really, really, I can't, I can't even express it enough positive way. How has your previous struggles shaped who you are today and who you are as a as a life coach I think it's been it's been the making of me and I'm a real believer that when we go through hardship and pain and trauma which is relative for everybody you know trauma it is either the thing that's going to make us or it's going to break us and usually through that storm we become the people that we're meant to be and it's the storms that take us there you know so I'm a real believer that my past is 100% the reason that I'm doing what I'm doing today. And I remember at the time thinking, my gosh, this journey is so extreme. You know, I was struggling with drugs. I was struggling with alcohol. I was struggling with anorexia. I was struggling with relationships. Like, you name it, exercise addiction, whatever I could do to take myself, like, away from myself, that was the struggle. But I remember sort of going into therapy and talking to therapist and just thinking but it's not just one thing I'm struggling with I'm struggling with like 17 things and (laughs) how am I you know why have I got this journey but actually I realized you know as I got into doing the work that I did like oh that's the reason so now I can see things from so many different perspectives 
from having all of that stuff behind me. So I'm very grateful for that journey. I really, I really feel very grateful for it. I got was 20 years clean last year and amazing. Well done. Wow. Thank amazing. you. And it's one day at a time, isn't it? Mm. You, you get mm. that. Yeah, I remember arriving in in rehab and thinking that alcohol was my problem. And I left rehab realizing that life was my problem. It wasn't alcohol. And all of my growth from now has has been about being able to deal with life in a better way and dealing with me. And so I resonate very much with that. Do do you Mm. find with your coaching that there's that bit that you're almost constantly coaching yourself as well? It's like a reminder to yourself all the time about, where you want to go with your life and who you want to be when you're coaching somebody else. I mean, I live, breathe, eat, sleep mindset. So it's something that is because I have been doing it for such a long time. It's installed in me, in my thought process of how to think in a way that I want to be thinking, which doesn't mean I'm immune to real life happening around me. I just have a very strong foundation of how I choose to think. And I think that's really important. And Coaching is a really beautiful experience when people are able to like open up and talk about things in a space that's non-judgmental, in a space that's open. You know, it's a very important part of becoming who you want to be. But I also think, and I'm sure you guys are probably going to laugh at this, but probably because you'll resonate that the more we know, the less we know. So the more mm. we understand about ourselves, the more we're like, oh God, what about that there? Oh, hang on a second, what about this? And it's like, are we going to be brave enough to go there and experience those things, right? Like just because I've been doing this all day long, it doesn't mean that I'm immune to certain things. So I think it's just about being willing to do the work. And and I think that's very, very important to make those choices that we are worthy of doing it. And, mm. and, it's, and you know, just going back to what you said, Luke, a minute ago about alcohol wasn't the problem, life was. I have a very controversial view on that in the same way of like the alcohol and the drugs and all of these things that we do are simply the symptom of the problem. They're not the problem itself. So I'm very much of a, of a believer. Like for me, I, I would say, you know, I have recovered from a drug addiction. I do not believe I'm recovering. I've, I've recovered from it. Like I've mm-hmm. pulled myself apart, looked in all the deep, dark spaces that were terrifying, pulled apart the ego, learned how to get humble, looked at my part in things, et cetera, et cetera. And so today those things have zero impact on my life you know and I think that's important to share that we can get to that space too Mm. similar to what you've both shared there does that mean you get a lot of clients now that will come to you with a specific problem but often it turns out that isn't the real problem that there's something underneath that maybe you end up working on it's always that way right Mm. it's always like oh I have imposter syndrome or whatever or like you know I'm Mm. struggling with alcohol or I've got a food issue or whatever it might be or a relationship issue and it's Mm. always the stuff that's working underneath that every time where do you think we're at in society at the moment in needing this sort of help because it feels to me particularly for men but I might might be just my biased kind of male view. We're really in a time where we do need lots of help, lots of life coaching. How does it feel for you being in the industry? I think if more men would walk through my door, I would be very happy with that. I think that men definitely struggle with, I'm a man, I should do this myself. I shouldn't burden anybody. I shouldn't ask anyone. I don't want to look weak. And actually, we need to explore that much more as a society and allow men 
to have feelings. I think a lot of men, it's a massive generalization here, I'll just put that out there, but we build men up to be, you know, you're the alpha, you're the strong one, you should be in your masculine all the time. But also you have got sensitivities and you have got fears and you have got worries. And it's important that we have spaces for that where men can explain that. It's mm. important to allow that out. So I think the first step is to get past that barrier of like, you know, but you're the man and you shouldn't have those feelings. But why shouldn't you have those feelings? You're also human, right? Mm -hmm. So it's what you guys do with that. So being able to make those spaces available is really important. I definitely know my friends, you know, from recovery back in the day, the guys that are doing the work and they're talking and they're in therapy and stuff, they're really healthy men. And so... Mm -hmm. Why not expand that and have more of that? I also think that will help with relationships with women. So, but that's a whole nother topic, isn't it? Well, we, I'd like to ask you about because we, we, have, we have had a relation, also a dating expert on a previous uh, episode. So I will get back to that. What you're talking about, it's so interesting in the kind of how men see themselves in modern society or just generally, I'm blaming it a little bit on modern society. And, and Fraser and I have often talked about how it feels like sometimes there's that disconnection of I want to be a man, I want to be a provider, fixer, protector, but I can't show vulnerability. And actually, they come hand in hand. And often the, the men that can show when they're vulnerable are the strongest men, the ones who can express their masculinity in a way that is really strong and really visible. But it's that sort of, I don't know if it's a disconnection or a blockage, but it, it feels like men sometimes get lured into believing that they can't be together. I think it's a fear. And actually, if, you know, the way I would say is that if you're in a relationship with someone and you, and you think that you can only do that fix apart kind of thing and you can't show your vulnerability, I would question the intimacy within that relationship because actually being vulnerable for men and for women creates a deeper intimacy and it creates a deeper connection. And so you want to have healthy relationships where you are allowed to be all of that and not judged in any of it. And, you know, it's about dipping your toe in and sort of saying, this is how I'm feeling. And, you know, and I feel a bit vulnerable saying this. And, and I think that can just create really healthy and really beautiful relationships. And if you were in a relationship with someone where you say, you know, I feel vulnerable because of X and they laugh at you or chastise you or whatever you, then you probably want to check your relationship. So it's like, how mm. healthy do you want to get? Mm. Do you think a lot of men could benefit from having a female life coach? Because I'm, I would imagine the majority of men would go and see a male if they were going to go and speak to anyone. Do you find many men come to you? And would that be a benefit, do you think, to, to a lot of men? Yeah, I mean, I have had guys come to me and, and, you know, talk about relationships and things. And I think it's always good because you've got a completely different perspective on that. Mm. And I think that's a really healthy thing to do. I mean, I like the, the difference between that energy of the male energy and the female energy. And a lot of the time, the guys that come to me and say, you know, this thing happened and this is what I think is very similar to when a woman says to me, this thing happened and this is what I think, right? So we're actually mm. a lot more similar than we really think that we are. But I think, I absolutely do think it benefits guys, definitely. Mm. You just get a whole different view on it all. I think mm. a lot of men are still in that position and a lot of organizations as well, actually. So I, I still do a lot of work within professional football and I'm working with a club at the minute and kind of offered my services one-to-one. -one. And it, this was literally the other day. And they said, if we've got anyone that's really struggling, we'll, we'll pass them along to you. And I was just thinking, there's still that element of it's only when someone's really struggling 
that mm. will then maybe refer them and, and get them to speak to someone rather than it being a little bit more proactive instead of waiting for someone to hit a certain point, right, we better go and speak to someone. Whether it's just like a constant that we work on, like we do, you know, many other things that we, we do in our, in our jobs and our, and our home lives. I guess the question, Fraser, was did you say that to them? Did you say, listen, people shouldn't need to be stopping <laughs> to get the help? Because yeah. that's our job, right? To say that, like, you know, it's totally fine to have a different opinion. And just so you know, yeah. coaching X, Y, and Z, and it's like speaking up about that is mm. what breaks the barriers down. Mm. Jacqueline, do you, because you you mentioned about the relationships and, and that side of things, pre, on a previous episode, like I, I mentioned, we, we had a dating expert on and we we were talking about whether this adjustment at the at the moment around male and women's roles and what men and women are looking for and in an age a wonderful age of female empowerment whether there are men who are sort of a little bit lost as to where do they sit within are they meant to be that strong alpha or are they meant to to sit back and and it's caused some confusion not just for men but for women as well who want to assert themselves and be everything they can be do you, do you sense that in, in some of the, the coaching that you do? A thousand percent. And I feel like, again, I'm generalizing here, so this isn't for everyone, but it feels to me very much like the women have become men and the men have become the women. And we've almost like swapped, swapped roles where women are like, you know, we've been taught about empowerment. We've been talked about, we've been taught to like, you know, don't stay at home and just look after kids, like go out there, get an education, build yourself. So women have got to this point where they have become very emotionally aware anyway. They are able to buy their own clothes, buy their own handbags, take themselves on holiday. And they've got to a point where it's like, well, if a guy's not going to bring emotional intelligence and kindness and strength and blah, 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 then what do I need it for? But, but what's happened on the other side of that is men who are very used to sort of going out, making the money and bringing it home. Like that's really all you guys had to do before. And now like, hang on a minute, what do you mean I've got to elevate my emotional intelligence? I don't know. I'll fix that for her. But I'm not sure I meant to listen when she's, when she's crying. I'll tell her, how can I fix it? I won't say, hey, do you want to talk to me about it? Because you haven't been taught that stuff. So there's so many different things going on that... You know, I often think I should be building a course for like men of how to be in relationships with women because a lot of men, and it's not your fault, have lost your way because you you were so used to the role that you were given. And now that role has changed. You're not really sure what to do. And it's not easy for guys, right? I'm still an old school romantic. Like I love it when a guy opens a door. I love it when a guy walks on the right side of the street. But I'm also aware that guys I've dated have opened a door for a woman and a woman's probably said, don't open the door for me. I can get that myself. So it's very confusing for men. But the more that men can work on themselves, understand themselves, emotionally elevate, the more chance they're going to have of a, of a woman saying, oh, this is this is interesting. He can hear me. He can understand me. He can listen to me. Right? These are the sorts of things that women are looking for today. They're not looking necessarily for men to provide. Mm. What, what do you think for both men and women? But if you can, if you're able to be more specific on men, that would be great. What do you think are the the biggest blockers to change generally for people? I think timing is a really important one, and I I really wish I could have like a crystal ball and find out why and how it works at certain times for people. But there comes a time for people where 
they're just sick and tired, as you know, the saying, sick and tired of being sick and tired. And they're like really ready to, you know, do the work. And everyone has their own journey towards that space and their own path towards that space. Some people, as you know, come into recovery and they get it straight away. Some people have to relapse 17 times before they get it. So timing is a really important one. And I think if we don't challenge, we don't change, right? So we have to challenge ourselves to that space of saying, do I want to live a better life? For me, I'm only going to take on clients. I always do an initial consultation and it's to really hear, is this person ready to do the work? Because the work isn't always fun, right? It's not sexy. It can be messy and ugly and uncomfortable. And if you're ready to do the work, you can change your, you can change your life. So I think willingness to do to do that, being in a place where you're like, I am ready to do this is a really important part of making that change. And that just comes when you're ready. Mm. And, do you, and do, you, do you sense any difference between men and women like that? You know, obviously, we've talked about how women generally are a little bit more open to, to speaking generally and about their feelings and where they're at. Do you, do you sense any difference between men and women on it? I think a lot of the time it has to be harder for men before they reach out. It's got to be a lot more difficult before they reach out or they're very confused about something. They're like very, very confused, usually to do with a relationship. And when they're like in all this confusion about it, then they'll reach out. So it's either like hitting a rock bottom or it's like a complete confusion about something and then they're ready to talk about it. I I actually had a, a a male friend reach out to me amazingly because he he did listen to this podcast which was ma- makes the whole thing worthwhile times a billion but he reached out to me and asked if, if we could have a coffee and we'd never had a this sort of discussion between us this sort of level of vulnerability and he was really struggling with life really struggling and what i noticed was that he was really judging himself by his outcomes in life so he was really judging himself by how much money he was earning, whether his wife wanted to spend time with him, what type of car he was driving compared to someone else. It was very outcome-based rather than about who he was and what his intentions were. I found that really interesting because I don't know whether there's something in that with men that, you know, going back to that kind of old structure of a man, it's like, well, it doesn't really matter what I'm like. It's, it's I'm here to do this. And if I'm not doing that, then I am completely failing. Does that make any sense to you? A hundred percent. I think I wrote an article somewhere along the way for GQ on this about how do you define success? And that most men, you know, listen, women have defined in other ways, right? We define success wrongly so about like the shape of our body, what we look like, blah, 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 right? Whereas men are very much like I define my success by, as you said, like what job I'm doing, how much money's in my bank. It's it's all of that stuff. And you're built up that way, right? Like you're taught that way that that is what success is. You've got to be a provider. You've got to make the most money. You should be driving a Ferrari. If you haven't got a private jet, then what's wrong with you? Like it's all the outside stuff. So learning as a man to step away from that and not define yourself by the job that you do and the car that you drive is really important work because that's the difference between a life where you're not connected to your soul and your authenticity versus living a life that's a lot more real and a lot more peaceful. Mm. It's very important work to do. And yeah, most men do think that. <laughs> Again, a generalization, but the men that I have worked with are definitely in that in that space. Yeah. And just talking about specifically about the work you do around mindset, if you could put that into 
an elevator pitch as to this is what I do and help people with their mindset, what would that be? I think what happens is that at school, we don't get taught how to think and feel. We get taught geography and math, right? But no one says, hey, this is how your brain works. And when you learn how your brain works, you can manage how you feel, right? If someone had said that to me, life would have been a lot easier. So I would say that the work that we do is sort of unlearning all the patterns and the programming that we're walking around in subconsciously, making terrible mistakes, and we're relearning how to do that properly. I always say it's a bit like people come in and they're wearing like a purple jumper that isn't really their color, that is totally the wrong size, that has got rips and everything everywhere. And they're going, I'm going to all these interviews and I'm not getting the interview, what's going on? And it's learning how to say, let's take that off because it doesn't really work for you. And we're going to give you, you know, a Tom Ford, beautiful black jumper with an amazing jacket and now go out into the world and do it that way. And you'll see your whole life change. I mean, I'm using a materialistic way of sharing that with you because it's very easy to, but it's literally like you're wearing the wrong clothes. So we're learning how to take off that jumper that we are used to and we're comfortable with, but it's just not helping us in life. And we put on that beautiful Tom Ford kind of suit and it's like, wow, I get the girl, I get the job, I learn how to have healthier relationships and I'm portraying myself as I am rather than in this, you know, dirty old purple jumper that doesn't fit me anymore. You, you sound like you're inquisitive and curious about this. Is that Were you like that in your younger years and when you were still out there in the world and, and not going through your recovery? Were you still treading along these lines or has this just been completely new since you've since you have been recovered? I don't know. I've always been an absolute life lover. I'm a real mm. glass half full person. I'm very much about like, I don't know. I think I was born in a hurry and I just, I definitely feel also through recovery and, and the hell of drug addiction that I'm so grateful for every second of life. I'm like, I just love it. And I'm a real <laughs> believer of like what I put out comes back. I'm a real believer of manifesting. I'm a real believer of like, life is amazing right? When you look at it properly. Mm -hmm. So I feel like a lot of that people are really interesting to me, how their brain works is really interesting to me. Like how exciting to, to be in a room where you can think about it in one way, you can think it about, about it in another way. And I can think about it in another way and understanding all of those perspectives. So I'm a very deep thinker, but I'm also very much of a, like a light energy of like, I just want to learn and explore and grow and experience because life is really short. So we should be grabbing it and, and enjoying it along the way as much as we can be. Yeah, God, it resonates so much with that. It's like I always think of it as being that I've, you watch the television in black and white and then suddenly someone turned the color on for you and you'd it'd be that sort of feeling. You'd be absolutely amazed and just want to watch every single program of every single sort because it would just blow your mind. Fraser and I are both 12-step recovery guys and it, and it sounds like the 12 steps has been a big part of your own recovery. Does that even feed into some of the coaching you do? I mean, I did the 12 steps probably like seven times. And I remember having a sponsor. He was like old school, original AA, right? And he was just amazing. I still speak to him today. And he's just a lovely, lovely guy. And I remember like, that was like the seventh time I did it. And it was done in a really powerful way that, that time. And I think that you know, I'm a real believer of that work. I think everyone should do the 12 steps anyway. Like Same I don't here. think 100%. Be, yeah. Right. Like it's such a powerful learning. And I think that the more you do it, the more you can really get to like the depth of all of this stuff. So 
I definitely think that there's elements of that that I'll use whilst I'm talking to people. You know, like a lot of the time people will come in, they've never done this work before. They're very happy to blame whoever it is for why they feel that way. And even just one question of like, well, what's your part in that? They look at you and you can see like they've just got like, what? What do you mean I've got a part in this? You know, like little things like that are really important and understanding about resentment because there are no justified resentments, right? So learning how to put that into play. So I'll definitely use some of that if I think it's relevant with the client. Yeah, yeah. It's a powerful tool, isn't it? That is so interesting because I've still got a... So I, I stopped drinking for a year without going to a 12-step recovery program. And I remember reaching out to you, Luke, and saying... Because somebody took me along to a meeting and I was like, I don't, I don't know if I am an alcoholic. I'm not, I, I was like in that, I've already stopped drinking. Yeah. And I remember sending you a voice note, Luke, going, I think this might just complicate it. And I'm, I'm having to say I'm an alcoholic and I'm not sure. And I remember you saying, I think everyone, everyone should do the 12 steps. You said it's, it's only the first step that's about alcohol. The, the others are just about how you deal with life and how you, how you navigate things. And it's, it's honestly one of the best decisions I've ever made. And I went along to one of those meetings. It was the first meeting I went to and I went with a guy and he introduced me to another guy. They said, oh, this is Fraser. He's, he's never been to a meeting before, but he's, he's a year sober. And the guy just said to me, oh, you're really missing out not coming here. And I was like, what? Like, I don't, I don't get it. I've already removed the alcohol. It's all those things. And I remember being in a meeting to sign for a new football club. I must have been about 24, 25. And I'm starting to question if the manager had been through the 12-step program. And he said to me when I was in the office, what are you afraid of? Like, what are you scared of? And bearing in mind, I'm trying to impress him to sign for this club. I said, nothing. I said, I'm not, there's nothing I'm scared of. And then when I've done it in my inventory and I've gone through like my fears, there was just so many things that sort of subconsciously I've been afraid of my whole life. And when you get it out and you recognize them and put them on paper, it's, it's incredible. And that's why that part there with fears and resentments, I think every single person should do that, right? What am I actually afraid of and have a real hard look at yourself? And where am I carrying that that anger and that resentment and that blame? And I think those two exercises there literally shifted something in my mind. And now it is that part of, right, even if you have been wronged, maybe, right, where's my part in this? And it, it just allows you to to let go. And, and again, maybe not be that victim as well, because I think a lot of us fall forward to that where if you have been wronged you you then become the victim and maybe excuse your behaviors as well but i i'd like to go into the coaching realm a lot more and i feel like it is i feel like it's you know i've, I've been to a meeting today and it feels like i'm listening to 10 podcasts a day when i go in to a meeting and i hear all these different people share and what they're going through and it is amazing and i, I was going to ask you there with with the process of of someone working with you how does that look for an individual if they were to if they were to speak to you and say that I'd really love to work with you? How does it look for them? I know it'll be very individual, but how does your kind of work happen for them? So usually we do an initial consultation and then my sessions are, are an hour and a half long and everyone's like an hour and a half. Isn't it meant to be 50 minutes? But I always found that 50 minutes, like you just got there and then mm. you were like, OK, I'll see you next week. So I didn't I always wanted to allow the time to explore things with that. So I work in sets of three sessions and we do it over Zoom and we do it weekly. And ultimately what we're doing is building up on becoming conscious and becoming aware of like what's going on in here. And I think that can be powerful for people in many ways because 
as I said earlier, like we do walk around unconscious to a lot of our things all day long. We just know that we're not sitting comfortably, but we can't work it out with our own mind. So sort of Fraser, going back to what you were just saying, like writing down a list of your fears and writing down a list of your resentments is a really powerful thing to do. And then you need to talk to someone about it, right? So that's, to me, that's like only 50% of it because it's like, it's super helpful, but you know, you can't fix the problem with the same brain that creates it, right? So it's like, you've got all this stuff and it's like, well, now what? Because if I'm holding this resentment and that is my resentment and I'm not letting that go, (laughs) you need someone else to come in and give you a different perspective of how to change that, you know? So that's a lot of what coaching is about. And I'm very Mm. much, as I said earlier, also like, it's a really safe space to talk about things. I'm very direct and I'm very straight to the point, right? And I take no prisoners <laughs> and I can be really tough in a loving way, right? Like I've got a, I've got a client who I just adore. She's she's amazing. And she was like, when I first met you, I hated you. I thought you were so rude. <laughs> she's like, and now, I just, and now she's like a little sister. She's so sweet. We love each other so much. But I don't believe in like beating around the bush. It's like, this is the issue and here it is in front of you. So if you're someone who can't take direct straight talking, don't come to me. But you'll work that out pretty quickly. Do you think that's a, an issue we've got in society in general of almost like the sugarcoating and we d- maybe don't? I think that we've got, you know, the coaching space is an interesting one. I think that we, from before when we weren't speaking about mental health at all, now we're talking about it all the time, which is great. But there's also that space of like, okay, you're not depressed, you're just having a really bad day. And that's normal and healthy because, you know, sometimes we have a bad day and at least we know we're having a bad day, but don't label yourself mm. something, you know? So there's a lot of that labeling thing that that is going around that is detrimental. It's not mm. a healthy thing to do because the minute you label yourself, you live up to that label, right? So there's a lot more of that kind of conversation that I would like to be seeing. And also, like you said earlier about victim mentality, which is just uncomfortable, unnecessary, and keeps you small. You know, you can be a victim if you want to, but it doesn't really doesn't really give you a very happy or good life. By the sounds of it, you have to, there's that story that we've all told ourselves, you know, about our life and our reasons for what's happened and this, that, and the other. And it sounds like you have to sort of cut through that BS quite quickly in someone and say, I know that's the story you're telling yourself, but we're going to cut straight through it. Have I got that right? Yeah, it is like that. But it's also like, you know, don't let me take it away from you if you want it. If you want to sit in that space feeling like that, then good for you. You can do that if you want to. And then they go, of course, I don't want to. That's why I'm here. And then it's sort of a chinking through that armor of like, well, if you want to stay mad at your brother because he, I don't know, stole a thousand pounds from you and you want to hold on to that, and you are absolutely sure that that's what you want to do, it's not a problem, but how's it working out for you? Mm. Like, how are you feeling? Mm. You happy about it? Are you calm? Like, what's going on there? So I think when we realize that when we're doing that stuff to ourselves, it's really uncomfortable, and the only one that's really bothered by it is us, we will immediately want to change it, right? When we understand that we are the ones that are in control of how we think, in control of how we feel, then why would we choose those feelings? So it's a process of learning how we do that to change it. Just on that word control, I find this bit really interesting. I, I look back on my own journey and I think of, of the, the amazing work that you do. My own recovery, an element of my relationship with control is huge. While I was in active addiction and essentially falling apart, I wanted and believed I could control everything in life. And I had to learn about spirituality and the universe. And that's a massive part of who I am now. 
But at the same time, with coaching and work you do on, on ourselves, the 12 steps, there's practical actions, aren't there? And you just said we're in control of ourselves and our feeling. Where does that balance and where does spirituality, if it does at all, fit within your coaching? So I'm a deeply spiritual person. You know, there's that lovely saying, isn't it, where it's like religious people pray not to go to hell and spiritual people have already been there. Like Mm. I definitely resonate with that saying. And I think spirituality to me is a fundamental part of my life, the connection with a power greater than myself and the universe, right? Like, and it's, it's shown itself to me many times, right? Of like how karma works or how life works about a million things of visualizing something and seeing it. Like I'm a real believer of all of that. So there's that. I think that the work is about learning the difference between when to hold on and when to let go. And it's such a fine balance, but the more we do our work, the easier that becomes. I think that there's definitely areas of life that we want to try to control. Like you should look at my diary, like that needs to be in control, <laughs> my diary, like it needs to be like that. And at the same time, I'm also aware that there's a gray area right there that I can do all of this and put all of this, this in that place. And I'm also aware that it can all change at any second. So living a life where you are spending more time learning how to surrender to what is, is a lot more peaceful than trying to control it. And I definitely feel that, again, the more trauma we experience, the easier this becomes to learn to sit in a space of surrender. The more we have of the tough stuff, the easier it becomes to say, all right, well, I'm going to try this out and see what happens. And that's great. The thing is, is you do have to do the work, right? You can't sit on your ass and go, well, I'm just going to surrender in peace to, you know, wanting to get to that space. You've actually got to put Mm. the work in and you've got to put it in in a way that's an intelligent way that you're not winding yourself up every five seconds. So it becomes uncomfortable. So it is a very pretty dance of holding on and working a little bit versus letting go. And you've got to learn how to do that to process. By the way, on a personal level, I absolutely love that. I resonate so much with that, mm. that balance between understanding what to, I think the words you said, what to hold on to and what to let go. Absolutely. When we, we did, it might have even been our first or second episode, but Fraser and I were talking about what should we talk about? We, we thought, let's just dive off the deep end and really go for it. And we did a, an early episode on body image and sex because two men talking about this felt like something a conversation that just really doesn't happen very often and and essentially for us to talk about the fact we we both came from professional sport backgrounds there's there's more it couldn't be more testosterone alpha driven environments you know Mm. but the fact that men far more than they let on struggle with body image and sex and insecurities around sex and the impact that porns had on that the whole distortion of it that things have got really out of place. And there's a lot of men who sit there who think they should be pretending they know everything about sex and they feel great in the bedroom, da, 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 and actually really, really are terrified about it. Do those sorts of things come up in your coaching for, with women as well, that, that whole issue within the bedroom? Absolutely. And I think, you know, it's, and, and that's why you really want to be in a healthy relationship to be able to talk about these things, right? Like we're constantly shown, aren't we, as like, you know, the movies or porn of what it's meant to look like and what you're meant to be. And it's like, it's so funny because real life is so the opposite <laughs> of that. You know, it's just, it's like, okay, what is the expectation that we have on ourselves and of our partner? And I think the more real you can get with this stuff, the better, right? Like, of course, you can be swinging from chandeliers, you know, sometimes great. 
And you also can have it really messy and difficult and someone's stressed out and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, this is real life. So it's like expectations is really important. And again, another reason to like do the work, to be able to understand all of this about yourself and be able to have those conversations with your partner. But definitely body image for women is like a really big deal. It definitely affects sex drive. And often, you know, I remember working with a woman once and she was an amazing woman and she had, she had had cancer. And so she'd lost a breast and she had met this guy. They were like really into each other. And she came to see me and she was like, I'm absolutely terrified. Like he knows I haven't got a breast and I'm terrified of going to bed with him. And I was like, are you fucking serious, right? Like you're dating this guy. He clearly adores you. This happens, that happens, blah, 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 blah. Basically enough, mm. go to bed with the guy. Like, trust me, that's like going to be the like the last thing he's thinking of. She sent me a message like the next day and it, it was like, that was amazing. <laughs> and I'm so grateful that I got my head around learning about like, this is what I am. And he was so lovely about it all. And like six months later, I got, a, you know, we've just got engaged. And it's so funny, isn't it? Because we're very good at doing other people's thinking. We're mm. very good at being like, oh my God, he's going to think that the cellulite on my ass is disgusting. So I better da, 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 da. But actually we should not be doing that. You know, we should not be making assumptions and even more reason to be doing our work, to be confident in who we are. When we do our work and we learn our worth and we learn our value and we learn that as a woman being five foot 10 and a size zero isn't always the thing that men want. Or in man's case, you know, a six pack and a Ferrari. It's not always what women want, right? Once we learn that and we do that work on ourselves, sex and relationships become a lot easier. Mm. That episode there is probably one of the, that we did. It's probably the one I've got most messages from afterwards, just because we were both. And when you show a little bit of vulnerability and you sort of open that door, that then attracts other people to go, oh my God, I'm not the only one that felt this way. And it's amazing, again, bringing it back to, to recovery and, and addiction, the amount of men that had their first drink because they felt so scared to talk to a girl, dance with a girl, sleep with a girl, whatever it might be. So much of it came back to that. And I think anything you do for the first time, so going and getting a girl's number or taking her out on a date or sleeping with someone, you're not going to be an expert the first time you do anything. And this is where I think pornography comes into it as well, where you know we spoke about the difference between sex as a performance which it is in pornography and actual intimacy we, we had a, a big chat with within our episode on that but i think at the minute where pornography is coming come into it for young men it, it preys on insecurities and it says this is how women want it and this is how you've got to be and it's very like transactional performance and for us it's just not a healthy a healthy thing for a young man especially to be consuming but I guess in, in terms of females as well, there's there's an expectation of what they've then got to look like or what they've got to do in a bedroom as well. But these conversations are often, you know, we try and pick pick topics here that make us feel a little bit uncomfortable. And we've that one there, we were both a little bit uncomfortable going into it. But once we, you know, we we got across that, you can see the benefit it has on other people when they reach out afterwards. But these kind of conversations, I just feel like we need to have more, even couples, like rarely do couples actually get to know what each other wants it's kind of still like an a question that's avoided and I don't want to hurt this person's feelings so I'll just keep it here and again that's where we're a life coach and someone coming in from the outside with a bit of perspective can can obviously help in that 
Yeah, I mean, I think that's really important. I, you know, I work with couples as well. Like, there's nothing I haven't heard. There's nothing I haven't heard. And then, oh, should we play this like, game? Oh <laughs> <laughs> Shall we? No, no. That could be another episode. Yeah. yeah. What have you? Exactly. I love that. Yeah. What have you heard? Yeah. Um, but yeah, and I think I think you know the most important thing is just from my perspective of this thing, like you just want to be as real as you possibly can be. Mm. You just want to be as authentic as you possibly can be. And also very important, like you say, you know, a guy needs to have a drink to take a girl out. Da, da, da. I always say to people, it's all very well going out on a date and being like, oh my God, what are they going to think of me? And what are they going to this of me? And that, it's not that. It's like, well, what am I going to think of him or mm. her? And it's and it's like turning it around, you know, of doing it the other way. It's not, oh my God, am I gonna, you know, do this thing for that person? It's like, well, what are they bringing, right? Which is just mm. as important. Mm. I love that. Well, my big big one. I don't I don't know if it's an age thing as well. Like, is it just as I've got older? But I always think of it around dancing. It sounds mad, absolutely crazy. But like, I love dancing now. I just I, and when I was drinking, I couldn't get enough drinks in me in order to start dancing like there'd have to be a certain level of drunkness in order to do it but then if i was nervous and that would get even more whereas now you know i'm sober as a judge and i've been for a long time and i love dancing and i often think like what happened where where did it and i think the switch is something like what you're talking about where in my head i went i just really like dancing as pure <laughs> as that whereas previously dancing wasn't about that I was enjoying the music and whatever it was it was about how what people thought of me it was the outside in rather than the purity of I just quite like listening to music and dancing a little bit and it's weird how we get muddled up with that, that kind of perspective on things I think it's so interesting I mean I definitely learned in recovery you just reminded me which is actually one of the biggest things that I learned in recovery with my sponsor the one I was talking about earlier who was really tough and he really gave me a hard time about how no one gives a shit about me yeah, and I'm not that yeah. important and special. And I was like, what do you mean? I'm not that important. So <laughs> he was like, no one gives a shit. But because I think he said, meet me at this meeting. And I was like, oh, I can't make that one. And he was like, well, if you don't, I'm out of here. And why can't you make it? And I was you know, young and I was like, well, because my jeans are still in the dryer. And he just <laughs> made it into me about it. You know? And like, no one gives a shit about you and your jeans, Jacqueline. Right? Yeah. Get rid of your ego. And I think when we learn that actually everyone is so self-obsessed, they're not thinking about us. It's like, oh, I can drop my shoulders, right? Like they're more worried about their genes than judging me. And also you learn about the judgment that, mm. you know, when people are judging you, fundamentally they're just judging themselves. So mm. learning how to depersonalize and you're not the most important thing in everyone else's life is really good to, to learn and important. That's where that unlearning comes in as well. Yeah, you know, I've, I've got a four-year-old daughter and if music comes on, she's dancing. She doesn't care. She's not learned to worry what other people are thinking or judging. And that's, that's, it sounds like you, Luke, there, where it's like, you've had to unlearn that. You, <laughs> so you've had to unlearn it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you've had to unlearn it because we pick up all these things of judgment and what's this person thinking and can I do that? Is this acceptable? And there's a whole different debate on what we're taught in school and how we can sort of conditioned in that way. But we do kind of pick up these things that restrict us in a way. And if you bring it back to looking at a three-year-old or four-year-old, she looks in the mirror and she goes up and kisses herself in the mirror because she, you know, she's got that innocence where she loves herself. She listens to a bit of music and instinctively dances. But when you get a bit older, you start criticizing that, that person in the mirror. You start wondering, do I dance here? Do I, you know, that, that person's looking over there? 
maybe if I have a drink, I can sort of block that out a little bit. It's really important mm. Fraser, to go back to that, right? That's what coaching to me is about, is being mm. that person that does kiss themselves in the mirror again. And it's like, you know what? I'm good enough. I'm yeah. good enough, right? I'm not perfect. I'm not a supermodel. I'm not making a billion pounds. I don't have a private, like I'm not this thing that society is constantly shoving down my throat that I need to be in order to be worthy or good enough. You have to learn to cut that cord, mm. And then you live a really beautiful life. So, you know, when you talk about your daughter, sorry to interrupt you, but I really no, wanted no. to get that in. That was mm. really important that, that, that people can understand whoever's listening to this, men and women, that you can get back to that place again, mm. right? And it's so it's so important to know that that's something you can do because people think they can't and then they live according to the negativity. Just as we, we come to an end, Jacqueline, I, this is obviously a time of the year when a lot of people are trying to make changes. New year, new me, all of that that goes on and and I'm sure well I'm presuming you it'd be a busy time for you with new clients where people are looking to make changes what would be your advice to people in these scenarios new year's ticked over and they think right I need to change all of my life or parts of my life what would you tell them I would say that it's it's possible the thing that you want is possible and yes it requires work and it requires energy but you can live a life of your wildest dreams if you're willing to do your work. It's 100% available to you. And that's an important thing to say. Like, you don't have to sit in pain. You don't have to sit in addiction. Like, you don't have to sit in trouble and strife. Like, you can sit in a place that is very peaceful and very calm, no matter what's going on. You can. It's possible. Amazing. Jacqueline, thank you so much for being our guest and, and sharing everything. It's been brilliant. I just want to say thank you for having me. And also both of you, like, keep up the great work. Like, I love the fact that we've got guys talking. So, you know, thank you for having me on. I'm really, I'm really honoured. So thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Understanding Men podcast. As ever, you can find us on all social media platforms, including Spotify, YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. And we'll be promoting every episode by our own personal social media. We want, as ever, this podcast to be as interactive as possible. So please come and find us. Drop us a message, a comment. We'll read them all and take them all on board. We want to have the conversations that you want us to have. Also, if you've liked what you've heard, then go ahead and hit the follow button so you never miss an episode. Lastly, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, then please leave us a review. And obviously, a five-star rating would be lovely. So thank you and goodbye for now. <laughs>